Hey, this is Omar, and this is, and that's okay. You're listening to a podcast about life, mental health, and taking care of ourselves. Hi, this is Omar, and this is And That's Okay with my co-host, Bree, and our special guest, Alicia. Um, We're going to do a more deep um, intro here in a minute, but go ahead and say hi, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Hola, is, buenos dias. <laughs> it is an early one. Um, just to go over a few things, as you heard in the intro, this is a podcast about life, mental health, and taking care of ourselves. Um, to be respectful of people that we work with in other places or our jobs, we're going to try to avoid saying the names of people and then just saying the name of like jobs or corporations and stuff like that. Um, we are not trying to diagnose anything, anybody in any way. It is about our experiences or our connections with people focusing on self-care. If you want to come in, check out um and that's okay and link up with us go, you can go to tiktok or instagram or you can go to etsy where you can get some merch our newest item at etsy is a workbook on self-care and it's about kindness to ourselves. so to keep our theme going with meaningful work or meaningful life we brought alicia on to talk about what she does and i'll have alicia explain what she does do you want to go ahead absolutely well first and foremost thank you so much for this opportunity to share in some meaningful dialogue this morning um it feels for some reason the 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 topic of restorative practices always feels timely in these times (laughs) because it is so just greatly needed um but specifically to presence all the listeners today is Saturday, May 28th. And what is happening right now, contextually, is, you know, we just, we're still in this collective state of grief with the Uvalde. We're still in the collective state of grief from TOPS. We're in the collective state of grief from COVID. We're in a collective state of grief as a nation, as a continent and as a global community. Um, and, and uh, you know, this is, these are, I had somebody in the supermarket come to, come up to me the other day because of a shirt I was wearing. And she's like, these are Testament times. And I was like, yep. And that's what it feels like. It honestly feels like we are in these Testament times with climate change, with just the the overall state of things um and now more than ever it is critical to take a deep look at ourselves at our youth 
at what we're doing to serve our community. And we can't do that unless we really look deeply at healing within ourselves. Um, there's such a huge need for healing. And that is just so abundantly clear through some of the societal um, challenges we're faced with, especially around mental health. So um, again, this is just, I'm, I'm, I'm happy, I'm thrilled, I'm honored and privileged to be able to, to be in this line of work and to be in community with folks such as yourselves. Um, and that's okay. You know, uh, we are, it's okay. I was, I was working with a school the other day and this student that I had worked with previously um, came up to me and said hello and he had a hoodie on and it's, his hoodie said, it's okay to not be okay. And I just, I was so about that message um, on that particular day. So in service to not being okay. Um, and truly living by that. So I work in restorative practices and restorative justice, equity, diversity, um, and inclusion work. And what does that mean? Well, I, I work on relationship and cultivating community and connection um, within communities that serve youth. So whether it be schools, whether it be youth serving organizations, um, I was brought to this work through the field of education as an educator, but even before that, we stand on the shoulders of those that came before us, right? So if we rewind the tape even further back, I come from a lineage of social justice activists. My parents were filmmakers. And they were very much committed to telling the stories of the unsung heroes of Latin history, um, most specifically Puerto Rican history. Um, I identify as a mixed race female, she, her, hers, Aya. I'm half Puerto Rican, half Swedish. Uh, and I grew up with a very strong focus on privilege and oppression and really having a fundamental understanding of the historic systemic and systematic marginalization of people of color dating you know really back to this country's first genocide experience of genocide with our treatment of first nation people and that was like I remember like hearing growing up like some kids are like learning their ABCs and stuff. And I was growing up like learning about Karl Marx and like being like, oh, I really want to go snowboarding with my friends. And my dad being like, that is a petty bourgeois indulgence in which we will not affiliate. Like, okay, dad. So I grew up with that on one side. And then yet on the other side, um, it was like very much my mom and my dad Unfortunately, you know, they they were not destined to be in this world for long. So I was orphaned at a pretty early age and then went to live with my grandmother. Now, my grandmother was, by all intents and purposes, like a feminist. But she would never admit to being a feminist because she was so conservative. Um, 
you know, she was the first female nominated as U.S. Treasurer under the Nixon administration. What? During that same time, my mother was involved in clandestine activity with Fidel Castro. So it was like these two really wow. crazy dichotomies happening on. Um, and so I grew up with like a strong understanding of like all, like truly like the polar opposite sides of the spectrum, political mm-hmm. spectrum. And I was like the peacemaker of the family. Like I would be having, I think my first mediation, I was seven, mm-hmm. like, coming, bringing people together, like, okay, we're going to do a pre-conference with grandma, pre-conference with dad, and, like, it's clearly I was cut out for this work, so I went in, I, um, you know, my grandmother basically raised me high school on in Los Angeles, California, and um, I went on to study film. I had a dream of being, like, a like a badass cinematographer because there was, there's still very little female representation on the representation of people of color within the film industry is like really uh, dismal to say the least. So that was my, that was my aspiration. I went to film school. I got my bachelor's in fine arts and film production worked in the film industry for several years but like something was missing it just wasn't like it it wasn't feeding my soul so then I went back to school to get a master's in education I got a master's in um culturally responsive education or teaching in diverse contexts can't remember what they decided to title it so then I um this was on Colorado I went uh and worked in Denver public school schools in Aurora Public Schools. I finished my student teaching in Aurora Public Schools and like immediately upon finishing my master's was working in a school as a dean. Um, Wow. It was like through my student teaching the principal um, where I was working was like you seen a turnaround with youth like I've seen with the youth that have been working with you. And it was because I was, I hate saying troubled youth. I was an exceptional youth that displayed some challenging and dynamic behaviors. And, you know, because behavior is communication, right? Of a need that's not being met. I was just not getting my needs met. And so I was... I was really just surviving and thriving in the best way I could. And so really connected with a lot of the youth that were struggling um, with these traditional systems. So I I worked as a dean and that's when I became exposed to, invited to um, restorative practices. I had been doing circle practice informally I just didn't know, like intuitively, like that was like, well, yeah, we're going to start the day in a circle and we're going to pass, sing around and everyone's going to talk about how they're doing and we're going to do a check-in. And like, I was doing that intuitively. Hmm. I was building relationship because that's how I, I was like, yeah, I know as a youth, it's really hard to like respect somebody you don't like. And so it's really hard to teach kids you don't know. 
And so I would, that just, I was like, well, of course we need to build a relationship. So I was doing these things intuitively. And then I got trained in restorative practices by a company called Resolutionaries. Um, now Resolutionaries was founded by Dr. Beverly Title, who was the OG originator of the five hours framework. The five hours framework has now been adopted by the um, Restorative Justice Council of Colorado and is basically like a statewide standard and really expanding to be like a nationwide standard of restorative practices. The five R's for our listeners are as follows. Relationship and in this order, which I have to be clear about. I'm like the five R's, not police. I'm the keeper of the five R's. I'm like very, it's like the holy grail to me. Um, So they're in order, a very specific order for a very specific reason. It's very intentional. Relationship. It's the foundation of everything. It's our thumb. Can't have respect without relationship. It's contingent. A lot of times we'll be like, well, yeah, I respect people I don't like. No, you're afraid of people. You're like, that's compliance and fear. It's not true respect. Authentic and true respect comes with the strong foundation of relationships. So we have relationship, respect, responsibility. It's really hard to take ownership or accountability for causing harm to somebody you have no relationship with and no respect for. It's a two-way street. And oftentimes, especially in these settings where youth are involved, because of that inherent power dynamic, we're always asking the youth to take responsibility without modeling that as the adult. Oh, they just don't take accountability for their actions. They don't have, they don't have any respect and they don't take responsibility. I was like, well, I wonder why. What has been modeled for them? If they take ownership of their actions, they're going to get in trouble. Have you taken responsibility for your side of the deal as the adult? And so that responsibility piece is huge. From responsibility, we go into repair. This is so important. A lot of the times when I look at the five R's and I go into a situation and I'm like, what R is missing? A lot of the times folks just start in repair. In triage mode, you know, there are a lot of schools. I mean, I have so much deep empathy and love for educators today. And also they're maxed out, max capacity. They're doing the best they can at max capacity. And so a lot of the times they are in triage mode, repairing, 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 repairing. You cannot repair a relationship you don't have. So it is critical, even if we are in triage mode and coming to repair constantly, we need to look at those other R's. We need to look at relationship, respect, and responsibility. After repair, which is another piece that often falls off short. I can't tell you how many times I've heard about or been privy to a suspension that occurred and I asked kids well when when you came back after that suspension 
what happens? Do you have any sort of welcome back meeting, a re-entry circle? It's not happening. It's not happening. And so what do we see is we see recidivism. We see these things continue to happen because repair has not authentically occurred. Because they have not been reintegrated back into community to be fully in right relationship, to be seen as a whole contributing individual. Yeah. That's problematic. You know, what strikes me about that whole model is how easily I think we could apply it to all of us right now, because we've been in survival mode for how long now? And I I think there are a lot of adults even when I look around and think, wow, you're not taking responsibility, right? Or um, we're we're constant, like you said, constantly in repair without going back to relationship. I think we've all lost relationship with our broader community, right? Um, Through COVID. Yeah, and with ourselves, like, Mm -hmm. you know, we, in service to like the theme of this podcast around sort of meaningful work and our self-care in compassion fatigue is real mm-hmm. yeah and when we're when I think of what is meaningful work like when I try and distill like what does that mean to me um it's work of service it's being of service mm-hmm. and when we are servants when we are healers we often get dismissed as far as receiving healing as far as being served and so i think we really need to flip the switch and look at how are we going to serve the servants how are we going to heal the healers yeah um and that work has to start with ourselves obviously but i mean as an educator i resigned from a big school district this year i was one of was one of the great resignation Mm -hmm. um and there was a lot of factors that went into play with that um with that decision but I also think that in my in my position before I resigned we heard and I shared this sentiment with many other colleagues self-care self-care you gotta take care of yourself yeah and it was almost to the point of being insulting Right. Like I felt insulted by how much we were asked to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. When I think about Uvalde and I think about how much we are putting on our teachers and how much we are putting on our youth to take care of a problem that they didn't create. Yeah, absolutely. And it breaks my heart. And, and self-care so, gets tossed around so easily because, and, and we, Omar and I have talked about this a little bit prior, but, um, you know, if you're doing self-care to recover from something, that's not self-care. Right. Right. That's, it's, it's, um, like, it's, it's not like, preventative. It's, you know, reactive and that's not self-care. 
that's jumping ahead to that repair stage without all the other stuff. Right. Yeah. It's so true. Um, and I would argue like, you know, we say that restorative practices differ from restorative justice in that it is more proactive and preventative. Justice inherently implies that you are coming in to balance, to create balance, to create fairness after an injustice or an event of harm or conflict has occurred. Practices, mm-hmm. restorative practices is supposed to be preventative. I would argue that there is no way we can be preventative anymore because mm-hmm. we are respond, we are in reaction to, even if we, when you look at systemic and systematic inequities, everything is in response to a harm. Mm-hmm. It's whether or not we had anything to do with that harm. So we are, we're repairing layers and layers of harm that we may not have even had anything to do with. Mm-hmm. When we look at generational trauma, I am repairing, I have the privilege to engage in therapeutic modalities to help with generational trauma that has impacted me. Mm-hmm. Right? Is that self-care? You know, it's like, it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like it. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to heal, you know? Um, Yeah. Self-care, like it can only, it can only occur after that entire process. Yeah. It's, it seems like there's, I think it's important to really look at self-care and look at like, Look at the privilege of self-care. Yep. Self-care is a privilege. Absolutely. You know, um, gosh, I would love to take a weekend and like a massage and I don't know. I didn't even like, what is self-care? Like, I would love to do some of those things. Um, and yet I feel like I... I have a hard time doing those types of things because the community I love and care about is under fire. Mm -hmm. It is on fire. I'm so concerned about this summer. Um, I work predominantly with youth in Aurora and families in Aurora. And there's a police chief that is no longer with the police mm-hmm. department. There is record youth violence, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I ain't got time for that. Like, I gotta go, I gotta work. I gotta make sure that this community is safe. Like, I don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't afford to take like a week vacation and hang out with girlfriends, like on a beach somewhere. Like that's, And so I think when we think about self-care, it's really important to look at it from this lens of privilege and like, okay, so what do I have access to do? For me, what self-care looks like today is saying no. Yep. Mm -hmm. Showing up and saying like, guess what? Today, I'm not going to be able to facilitate this meeting. 
we say mental health is a priority. And today I'm having a really tough mental health day. So I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to lean on my community to Mm -hmm. step forward. That's self-care for me is like looking within myself and having that the courage to be unapologetically authentic. That's self-care to me today. I think that's a, a very, a good point that you make that um, self-care is a, a privilege and we do have to see it from that point of view of like, for some people, you're going to have more access to self-care than others. And so how do we, how do we empathize with people who don't have the access that we do? And how do we give them the tools to create it? Because it's different for everybody. And absolutely, it can be saying no when you're busy or you can't handle it mentally that day, or it can be stepping away for a nice calming weekend, right? Like there's so many things that can fall under that umbrella. And so how do we give people the tools to find the self-care that works for them and that they have access to readily? There are things we can do to take care of ourselves. And sometimes it takes time to figure it out. And that's okay. Hi, this concludes part one in our two-part series on restorative practices with our special guest, Alicia. Part two will be here soon, so you should check it out. Also connect with us on TikTok and Instagram. And go to the shop. See you soon.